Well, good morning. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, I'd love to meet you after the service. I hope you'll come and find me. My name is Zach. I serve as one of the pastors here at Covenant. Um, this year, we've been going through uh, what it means for us now that we have been released from our sin. Uh, and ultimately, what that means is, um, what does it look like for all of us, each of our discipleship journey? We are followers of God uh, once we have been released from our sin. And each of us is starting from a different place, uh, but we're all invited to take a next step. And I hope that you have taken a next step this year or many next steps. Um, but the reality is that when we begin to make forward progress, sometimes uh, we discover that things have to be torn apart or torn down before they can be built back up. Something old has to be torn away that the new might grow. So we're going to be talking about that for the next couple of weeks here. Um, and this morning, our first scripture of two comes to us from the book of Hebrews. So I invite you, if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. It's uh, this last little portion of the Bible towards the end. And we're going to read verses 14 through 16. Here are a couple pages turning. Hebrews chapter 4, we're starting in verse 14. This is God's word for us. Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, for us to understand what's going on here, this is the book of Hebrews. It was written to the Hebrews, and the Hebrews were followers of the law of Moses. So we're going to turn back to understand uh, to the book of Leviticus, everyone's favorite book in the Bible, right? No? No, okay. Maybe it will be after today. We'll see. Uh, Leviticus chapter 16 starting in verse 2. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, he shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. He shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And then we're going to jump ahead to verse 11. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself. And shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord. And two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil. 
and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall also take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side, and in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. This is God's word for us today. Let's give him thanks. Father, thank you so much. We come to you, help us to have a spirit of gratitude and expectation that you want to speak to us from your word, that when scripture is read, you want to say something. And so, Lord, please bind my tongue and my lips that no false word might pass from them, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit come and rest on us in this space and speak straight to our hearts. From your lips to our hearts, move me out of the way completely, God. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So back in 2015, I participated in an Ironman triathlon in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, The Ironman, it's a very long race. Uh, I have absolutely zero desire to ever do one again. (laughs) And also for the record, in case you're a lunatic and you want to do an Ironman, I don't recommend uh, doing your first one in the mountainous terrain and elevation of Boulder, Colorado. Stupid. Um, These Texas boy windpipes were not prepared for elevation. And the thing about elevation is you can't actually simulate elevation whatsoever without having actual elevation to prepare your lungs for the misery and the lack of oxygen. It's impossible. But at least I knew that going into it. I knew it was going to be terrible. What I didn't realize is that there is also no way to simulate open water swimming with 3,000 of your closest friends uh, without open water swimming with 3,000 of your closest friends. And um, yeah, I wasn't ready for that. So morning of the race, wake up early, head to the site, uh, get my bike ready at the bike transition, get my shoes ready at the run transition, and then I get my goggles, swim cap, head to the starting line. Uh, The starting line was at the end of a chute that was probably, I don't know, 30, 40 meters wide and led down into the Boulder Reservoir. And they packed 3,000 of us into this chute like a bunch of sardines. So I'm waiting. Adrenaline's going. I'm ready to do this. I've been training. The gun goes off, and we begin to push and shove our way down into the reservoir, and you kind of wade in until you get deep enough to get horizontal and swim, and I'm getting into my freestyle, and all of a sudden, wham, heel kick to the face, and so I just kind of shake it off, look around, all right, keep going, swimming along, trying to get back in a rhythm, trying to breathe, not working, swimming, wham, Heel kick straight to the face, number two. So I'm looking around. I'm trying to catch my bearings. 
all of a sudden, I realize that someone is crawling across my back to try and get in front of me. I got people yanking on my ankles, pulling ahead. This is a cutthroat, bloodthirsty situation, brothers and sisters. Now, I am a competitor, but I'm a gentle guy. Um, I think in my entire high school basketball career, I may have been called for four fouls. None of them were technical fouls. Uh, I'm just, this brawl in the water was not my scene. And I was trying to breathe, trying to move forward. And it was in that moment that this thought was running through my head. I do not belong here. I do not belong here. And I wonder if Aaron might have had a similar thought on that very first Day of Atonement. Now, first, a little bit of Jewish history. So the Day of Atonement, it's the holiest day in the entire year for the Jewish calendar. And it's a day marked by two things. It's marked by atonement and repentance. So it's marked by uh, the payment for past sins being completed, that's atonement, and it's marked by turning away from sin as we go into the future, that's repentance, atonement and repentance. And so this is thousands of years before Jesus ever came to die for our sin in the ultimate and final day of atonement. This day of atonement, the original day of atonement, was a part of the covenant that God set up with his people as a way that they could find mercy for their sins. But even more than that, it was a way for the people to be cleansed so that they might be in a close, personal relationship with God. So on the Day of Atonement, the one day of the year uh, that the high priest of Israel could go into the Holy of Holies, he would first offer a sacrifice to cleanse himself, offer sacrifice to cleanse the people, and then he would enter in through the veil into the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the tabernacle, uh, which had this, this veil that he would pass through, which was meant to protect the people from accidentally going into the innermost courts of the tabernacle, into the holiest place, so that they might not die. And the high priest would walk in and walk up to the mercy seat in the hopes that he and the people of Israel might receive mercy and forgiveness. And I said it a moment ago, but I'll say it again. God instituted this day and all of the rules for it for the purpose of restoration. Okay, All these rules that we're about to go through in Leviticus 16, the, the purpose behind all of them is that God wanted a healed and restored relationship with his beloved sons and daughters. So keep that in mind. So here we are in Leviticus 16. God is instituting this day, and we get a pretty intense introduction in verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come in at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat on the ark. Because if he does just come in at any time, he will die. Why? I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So Aaron 
was the first high priest of Israel, and in the very first words from God about this day of atonement, Aaron gets a holy call out, a potent warning, don't come into this space on your own terms, or else you will die. Now we see why Aaron may have been thinking, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. But in verses 3 through 5, 3 and following, uh, God gives his terms for how Aaron is to enter into the Holy of Holies. It says this, But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall also put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. He shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. All right. Now, I just said a bunch of stuff in its ancient concepts. So let's bring it home for us this morning. Before Aaron can even think about entering through the veil into the Holy of Holies, He's got to do a few things. First, he has to make sacrifice to cleanse himself from his own sin. Then he has to make sacrifice to cleanse all the people from their sin. But that's just the preparation. Then before he actually goes through the veil, Aaron has to put on the holy robe, the holy undergarments, the holy accessories, right? The sash and the turban. But before he even puts those on, he has to take a bath because this dude lives in the wilderness and he was dirty. And these holy garments can't get dirty. It's all about cleansing, being clean in God's presence. I read it earlier before the sermon. I didn't read it just now. The preparation continues in verse 11. Aaron has to take uh, blood from the bull and the ram and the goats and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat he has to burn the sweet incense in the space to make it smell pleasing to the Lord and the blood serves as a reminder to God the sins of my people have been paid for Romans says that the payment for sin is death the animals that were killed as a sacrifice their blood is a symbol that the payment for the sin, the atonement, had been completed. There's a whole lot of details that go into this day of atonement. So let me summarize the main point that sticks out to me for us when I read Leviticus 16. Apart from Christ, I do not belong in the presence of God. And apart from Christ, you do not belong in the presence of God. You see, God cannot be in the presence of sin. God is holy. He is completely set apart from sin. And brothers and sisters, we, before we receive the gift of Christ, are wholly entrenched in our sin. 
and we can't be in his presence on our own terms. We don't belong there. Now, I know this is heavy, so please don't check out of this message because in order to understand the power and the potency of Hebrews chapter 4, we must enter into the heaviness of Leviticus 16, okay? So let's move forward into Hebrews chapter 4. This is after Jesus came, lived, died, rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, And in this chapter, we have similar concepts. We have the high priest. We have atonement. We have the mercy seat as the throne of grace. And let's read and listen for the tone of verse 16. It's a little different from Leviticus. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You hear the difference there? Leviticus 16, don't come in lest you die. Hebrews 4, come in so that you can find mercy and grace. Now what in the world has happened between Leviticus and Hebrews to bring about such a drastic change? Well, the author has it for us right here in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace. Because of Jesus, the great high priest and the sacrifice, Let us draw near with confidence, no fear of death, to receive mercy and grace. You see, the very first day of atonement in Leviticus 16, the very first day of atonement was just a foreshadowing of a greater day of atonement to come, a day when our wonderful Savior, Jesus, would come as a sacrifice, both priest and sacrifice, to offer his own blood to cover us. Jesus superseded the necessary garments. He supersedes the robes, the undergarments, the sash, the turban. The cleansing of our very skin is accomplished in Jesus Christ. Jesus, it says in Matthew 27, When he was killed, the veil that separated us from the Holy of Holies was ripped in half. No longer is there a doorway to keep us out of God's presence. In Christ, we have a free path right into the holiest of places, the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, in the power of of the blood of Jesus, we have everything we need. You don't need the holy garments. You don't need the bath. You don't need the sacrifices. Jesus plus nothing else equals everything you need. You don't have to clean yourself up Okay, you don't have to do enough good deeds 
so that when you walk in, God might not strike you down. In Jesus, you have absolutely everything you need to be saved. The author of Hebrews, uh, he breaks down what we need like this. With confidence, let us draw near to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy and grace. This is what we need, mercy and grace. Now, at first, these two words, they might sound like similar concepts. But in reality, they're actually very different and unique. I'll describe it for you like this. Mercy is when you don't receive the bad things that you do deserve. You with me? Mercy is when you don't receive the bad things you do deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is when you do receive the good things that you don't deserve. Mercy, when you don't receive the bad things you do deserve. Grace, when you do receive the good things that you don't deserve. And we find both in God's presence. One of my favorite books, uh, it's a classic by Victor Hugo. Maybe you've read it or at least heard of it, seen the Broadway show or the movie um, Les Miserables. It's set in 1800s France, and it's about a man named Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean stole a loaf of bread to feed his hungry nieces and nephews, uh, and he was caught and became a prisoner, and he spent the next 19 years of his life in prison uh, and on ships as a rower, a slave. And after 19 years, he was released. You could imagine in the 1800s, 19 years have passed. You get out. You don't know where your family is. You have no place to go. Nothing to your name. No one to turn to for help. The only thing you do have is a yellow passport, uh, which you're given when you're released. And this yellow passport is something you have to go into every town and show the leader of the town. When you want to buy food, you have to show your passport. When you want to get a place to stay, you show the passport. When you want to get a job, you show your passport. And that yellow passport says criminal and has a list of your crimes. And it was basically a sentence of exile. So Jean Valjean, desperate, he's going from place to place, looking for food, looking for shelter, looking for a place to work, and at every turn, he is sent away until he goes to a church. Completely and totally desperate, he meets a humble bishop who invites him into the church for a meal and a place to spend the night. However, driven by desperation, Jean Valjean awakens early in the morning and he goes about the church collecting these silver items, silver dishes, silver forks, spoons, knives, and he puts them in a bag and he hits the road and he steals all this silver that belongs to the church. And he thinks, maybe this can help in my time of need. 
Well, the bishop wakes up the next morning and discovers the missing silver. Meanwhile, Jean Valjean is a shady-looking character on the run. The gendarmes, the, the French police, they stop him, they search him, they find his passport that says thief, and they find the bag of silver. And they drag him back to the church. And they throw him in front of the door, and they knock. And the bishop opens the door, greets the police, looks down, and sees Jean Valjean on his knees next to the bag of silver with a desperate look on his face. And you know what the bishop said? The bishop said, There you are, my friend. You forgot your silver candlesticks. And he goes to the mantle, and he takes two silver candlesticks and places them in Jean Valjean's bag with the other stolen silver. And the police look at him and say, so he was telling the truth? And the bishop says, well, if he told you that he stayed the night with me last night and I sent him away with this silver as a gift, then yes, he's telling the truth. And the police leave and Jean Valjean says, why did you do that for me? And the bishop said, the silver wasn't mine to begin with. I have given it to you so that you might go and live a life devoted to serving the needs of others. And Jean Valjean went on his way and did just that. My friends, what is it about you that makes you feel like you don't belong in God's presence? I want you to think. Take a second and think. What is it about you that makes you feel as though you do not belong in God's presence? In Christ, there is no place in all of creation where you belong more than in God's presence. In Christ, there is no place in all of creation where you belong more than in God's presence. Okay, whatever that thing is, that's been making you feel as though you don't belong, keeping you out in fear from walking up to the throne of grace with confidence. Whatever that thing is, that is where the blood of Jesus has been sprinkled to cleanse and pay the debt that is owed for your sin. Being in Christ means, like as Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's in Christ. In Christ, there's nowhere you belong more than in God's presence. Okay, I'm going to give you a way, if you don't know, how this morning you can approach the throne of grace. Okay? In just a few minutes, we're going to take communion.
and whatever that thing is that's aching in your heart, I want you to think of it when you go to your Heavenly Father in prayer. And I want you to say, Father, this thing makes me feel as though I don't belong to you. And then I want you to ask him, will you show me mercy? Will you offer me grace? Will you give me the silver to help me through this time of need? You can take that very thing to him. And then I just want you to listen. And when you're done listening, take the bread and take the cup. And we do this as a symbol, as a remembrance of Jesus on that ultimate day of atonement where the debt was paid once and for all. That we might enter in and be with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you sent Jesus as the priest and the sacrifice that we might enter in with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Lord, in just a few moments when we come and we pray, give us the courage to bring that dark part of our hearts and give it away to you. And won't you show us mercy and give us the grace we need in that very trial, that very thing that we have laid before your feet. Thank you. And Father, as we enter into this time of offering, we ask your blessing on both the gifts that they would be multiplied and bear much fruit in your kingdom and the givers, that they would be blessed as agents of your love bearing fruit in this kingdom of yours. We pray this in your name, Jesus.